God sees a vessel and he sees a servant and he sees someone full of purpose and grace. This um, Veterans Day for me is very significant because my son Jimmy just graduated from Special Forces. He's now Green Beret. So I was down in North Carolina, so it's quite an achievement. Yeah, God gave him grace to endure. So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. If you have a Bible or a mobile device, you can find that. If you had a word to describe your week, what word would you choose? Some of you might consider the word normal. It was just a normal week, just, you know, life as it normally is. You know, just kind of did my commute, did my work. It was sort of normal. Some of you may describe the word intense. The week was somewhat intense. There was some intense situations, some heavy conversations, a lot of drama in the week. Some of you might describe the week as crazy. It was a crazy week. It was crazy at work. It was crazy with the kids. Maybe you felt like you were under attack, like as if you had a bullseye on your back. How about if you had a, to pick a word to describe yourself right now? How many would use the word rested? I can't actually remember. <laughs> I can't remember the last time when I asked somebody, you know, how are you? They said, I'm just feeling so rested. <laughs> like, isn't it almost laughable, right? So I want to speak to you from the heart of God because God has a place to take you to be but you have to be willing to go there. This place he will take you, some of you have never been there. But once you've gone there, you'll want to go back. It'll become etched in your memory, a favorite place to be. To go there, you're going to have to let go some of the burdens you brought to church, you carry through the week. Some of the things you're trying to control, you can't control. To go there, you're going to have to develop something called stillness, quietness inside. To go there, you're going to have to learn how to trust and relinquish and surrender and rely upon God. Where is this place, Pastor R? It is called the place of rest. God wants you to learn how to rest. Some of you know how to stay busy. You're busy little bees. But do you know how to rest? Some of people were off a week of school this week, right? But still really aren't that rested. You could go on a vacation and not come back rested. You could be on a vacation and need another vacation to recover from your vacation. <laughs> or you can go to bed and sleep at night and not wake up rested. The truth is our strength comes out of our rest. It's very important to learn how to rest. Six days we are given to work, and the natural boundary for work is the sunrise, the sunset. Every evening is designed to be a rest, but one day out of seven, God has designed us to rest. It's called the Sabbath. So with that brief background, let's look at Hebrews chapter 4 and see what the writer would say to us this morning about rest. It says, therefore, since, well, by the way, when you're reading scripture and you see a therefore, you always want to ask, what is it therefore, right? Therefore. Now, the, the thing that it's there for is to tell you this, that there was a place that God wanted to take his people to a place of rest, but they were unwilling to go there because of unbelief. But since the promise of entering his rest still stands, 
God made a promise to his people, and God is making a promise to you. And the promise is very beautiful. God will exchange the stress that we feel to take us to a place of rest. To the exhausted mother stressed out about her kids, to the weary soldier far, far from home, to the student under the pile of their assignments, God gives rest. You know, when you're in trouble, and we're often in trouble, the number we call is 911, right? 911. Well, Psalm 91.1 says these words, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. When there's a storm raging on the outside, we need a shelter, we need a safe place, we need a refuge. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High God, there is no higher place than the place of the Most High God. There is no equal to Him, no rival. There is no safe place like the place He has for us. There is no hiding place like His protection. For he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The Scripture only speaks of one time of Jesus Himself sleeping. You know what it was? When do you find Jesus sleeping in the Scripture? Is in the middle of a storm. The waves were lapping over the boat. The winds were roaring and Jesus was snoring. What's up with that? Because he was resting in the loving care of his Father. He was resting in the shadow of the Almighty. Jesus exemplifies to us what it means to rest. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, to any who would take up God on his offer, he will deliver his promise. God does not overpromise and underdeliver what he says he will do. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, you see it there, then he comes to the warning. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, short of that rest, you see. The people of Israel fell short of the promised land. They never made it inside. They never got to rest. God's desire was not for them to fall short, but for them to enter his rest. Verse 2, for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. I remember, do you remember the first time you ever heard the gospel? I'd never heard something so beautiful before. The gospel is the message of God. At first, the gospel to us is very offensive because it reminds me of who I am. It breaks me of my pride. It humbles me before a holy God. I am a sinner unable to save myself. I am much more worse off than I ever imagined because as a sinner, I am under the wrath of God, under the judgment of God. As a sinner, 
The gospel has exceedingly good news. Though I can't save myself, Jesus came to save me. He lived a life that I could not live, and he died a death he did not deserve to die. He did for me what I couldn't do for myself. He took my place on a cross. And when I believe that he substituted himself on the cross for my sin, the Bible says that I am forgiven. I am adopted into God's family, and I am given the Holy Spirit. For we, it says, and we can turn the lights up just a little bit because it's kind of dark in here. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was not of value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. There was a day when Israel stood at the edge of the promised land on the east bank of the Jordan. Moses sent 12 spies into the land. There we go. And they spied out the land for some 40 days. And they even brought back the fruit of the land. You remember how the spies came back with a pole across their shoulders? I'd love to have some of these grapes with grapes on them that they had to carry with poles. And they said the land is exactly like God said it would be, a land flowing with milk and honey. But the people did not enter the land because they did not believe. You see, faith is that which allows us to take possession of that which God promises to us. They would not act upon that which they were given. You see, the promise did them no good because they did not have faith. The writer says that the very same gospel that they heard, we also have heard. We have heard this good news and the possibility of entering a life of rest. Now, this is in light of the fact that there are a lot of variables and uncertainties in our world. We don't know how it will turn out, but God gives to us a sense of peace and rest. God wants his people to experience rest. Verse 3. It says that we who have believed enter that rest. You see, God brings to us blessing. And part of that blessing to us is rest. One woman I know, she said, when there was so much stress in her office, I'm way too blessed to be stressed. You see, the world wants to give you stress, but God's promise to you is to give you rest. Now, we who have believed, it says, enter that rest. Sometimes to me, there is great chaos on the outside. And then there is peace on the inside. And this is the promise of God, that he gives to us a peace that's beyond human understanding. And he contrasts this here with those who did not enter the rest, just as God said, so I declared on my oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. From God's perspective to his people, what else could he do? He had delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh with a strong, outstretched arm. He delivered his people. He brought them out of bondage. He brought them through the Red Sea. He drowned the Egyptian army. He promised them the land. 
But the only way they could ever take possession of the land was to take it by faith. But because they lived in unbelief, God said, I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Then it says, and yet his work has been established since the creation of the world. You know the story of creation, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything that we see, everything seen and unseen, everything visible, invisible, was created by God. God created the universe, the hundred billion of galaxies, all things we see through the Hubble telescope. God made all the, the things we can't see, we see through the microscope. Everything was made by God. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God called the day light, and he called the night darkness night. There was an evening and a morning. But it says here, on the seventh day, God ceased from his labors, and he rested himself on the seventh day. Now let's take a look at our notes. Rest is the quality of life that enables us to live at ease with confident rest in God. The scripture is going to give us at least four different kinds of rest. The first of these is the rest of our creator, the creation rest, that God himself finished his work and he rested from his labors. God was setting an example for us by resting on the seventh day. God is not in need of a rest. God neither sleeps nor slumbers. God runs no risk of breakdown, burnout, or exhaustion. God doesn't need a Sabbath or sabbatical. God doesn't need a good night's sleep to clear his head. God is complete without rest. But you are not like God, and that's the point. You see, we are in need of a rest. The reason we rest is we stop doing in this world. We stop having have-tos, having shoulds, being driven to do. Sabbath allows us to rest. It allows us to recover. It allows us to delight in God. There was a time when I was a student, and um, I had 21 hours of classes. And I figured that since I was a student, what I should do is I should study and work seven days a week. But I found myself, you know, the constant studying of books is wearing to the bones. I decided I was going to take one of those days off on Sundays. I was going to actually have a Sabbath. I was going to enjoy the fellowship with God's people. I would have good meals, take a long nap, and not be about my studies on that day. And it was a sweet, delightful day. When I broke into my schedule, my working seven days a week, and studying seven days a week, and began taking Sabbath. You see, a good definition of Sabbath is we imitate God so we can stop being God. We hold our treasure in very 
fragile clay jars. And without rest, we can break. You know that nothing, nothing can go without a break. If a machine works all the time, this machine is going to break down. If a bird is fluttering all the time and never in her nest, she's going to fall over from exhaustion. If the grass is walked on without a rest, the grass is going to become um, burned out, right? It's going to become gone. What I'm trying to say to you is this, that God is looking after your well-being. God has your best interest at heart. God wants you to be able to rest, to delight in Him. Verse 6, For still remains that some will enter that rest. You see, there's, first of all, the Creator's rest, but then there's the rest that God gave His people, called Sabbath rest. In Exodus chapter 20, it says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You see, God was saying to His people that just as I rested on the seventh day, So I'm commanding you to take a rest on the seventh day. When he finished his work, God rested on the seventh day. So the first admonition requirement was to imitate God by giving themselves a rest. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord God brought you out of there with a mighty arm. The first command to rest has to do with imitation of God, that God finished his work and he rested. The second is to say that you're no longer slaves. You see, a slave works all the time. A slave works seven days a week. A slave was someone who worked for Pharaoh to build Pharaoh's pyramids and his monuments. A slave never had an hour to themselves. God is saying you're not slaves anymore. You are free. You are free. The Son has set you free. Jesus himself celebrated the Sabbath. And he calls us to live a life experiencing rest, giving ourselves a break. It says there still remains that some will enter this rest. It was said of the Jews during the Holocaust that they kept the Sabbath and the Sabbath kept them. You know, even in those harshest conditions of being in German concentration camps, the Jews would celebrate Sabbath. They would remember the Lord, their God, and enter into rest. Look at verse number 6. It says... It still remains that some will enter that rest. Those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. You see, part of the implications of the gospel is that we follow Jesus and we enter into his rest. But some did not experience that rest because of their disobedience. Now, let me explain something to you. I mean, this is a little unclear. We tend to say, when we talk to people, do you believe in something, right? Do you believe in something? If a person believes in it, we say, or the person has doubts about it, right? 
You may have doubts about what I'm saying being true. You may say, what I really need to do is I need to work every day of my life. But biblically, faith is associated with obedience. If I believe God, I will obey Him even if I have doubts about what He's saying. Remember how Peter was taken to prison and the church began to pray for Peter? And Peter was released out of prison. The chains fell off. The gates opened up. He was released. And he went back to the house where they were praying for him. And he knocked on the door and he said, it's Peter. And they said, can't be Peter because Peter's died. They had doubts whether that was Peter. Now, you see, the church had doubts about their prayers but they were being obedient, praying to God. And God heard their prayers and honored their obedience by delivering Peter from prison. Some of us find ourselves in a prison we call an inner pharaoh, driving us to incessant activity, never giving ourselves a rest, always feeling like we have to be doing something. Therefore, verse 7 says, God has set a certain day, calling it today. Today is the day that God has set for you, for you to hear his voice. God is not a taskmaster driving you to incessant activity. God wants you to experience the rest in your innermost being. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You may ask yourself the question, how do we harden our hearts against God? When we decide that God's way won't work, we harden our hearts. The promise of God is exactly the same now as it's always been, that through a relationship with Him, we experience rest. We can only take possession of this by faith. Some will say, well, I tried to do God's way, but it didn't work. It's sort of like saying, I went to a seminar, and I heard something about a good attitude. And I've tried a good attitude for three weeks, and it didn't work. Or I started this diet, and um, it promised if I stayed on the diet, I would lose weight. I've been on the diet for two days, and it didn't work. You see, I tried a certain way, and it didn't work, so I'm going to go back to my own way. We harden our hearts when we're, when we're afraid of missing out. We harden our hearts when we think we're different. We think the rules don't apply to us. They only apply to everybody else. You see, we're so inclined to harden our hearts, which brings us to the next kind of rest which was the rest that Joshua spoke about, the promised land rest. You see, Joshua is one of the 12 spies, and he believed that they could take possession of the land. He and Caleb said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. You see, there was them in the spies that believed that God was going to give them a land full of abundance. Joshua and Caleb but they had to wait some 40 years for a generation to die off, to cross over the Jordan and take the city of Jericho and begin parceling out the land. For if Joshua had given them rest, it says, 
God would not have spoken of another day. The other day he was speaking of was salvation rest. Look at verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Now, this is not a call to laziness or inactivity because the weeks are given that we would have work. But within each work, there is a nighttime when we're called to rest. But in that life of faith, there is a day set aside for us to rest, namely the Sabbath. There is a rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his labor. There's a new principle on which God intends for us to operate. It was God's intention from the beginning. You see, when man fell, he lost this. And it is now in Jesus Christ to be restored. You see, we've all been brainwashed to believe that we can become what we can become in and of ourselves. And if we don't have it, we can go to school or get the skill to learn how to have it. Peter spent three years with Jesus trying to serve him out of his own will and failing dismally. And Jesus said to Peter, you will never have what it takes until the Spirit comes into your life and illumines to you the power of the cross and the resurrection. You see, in the cross, Peter, you die to your self-will and to your sin. In the resurrection, you're raised to newness of life. This is God's design to stop relying upon yourself and to start trusting in him. When we rest, we no longer worry or fret or stress. We no longer feel the strain. So then we find the first of the three let us's in verse 11. You see it? It says, let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Let us then make every effort to enter rest. That's kind of ironic, wouldn't you say? That it means effort to enter into rest. It's going to take some part on your part to create a life wherein you have rest. God has given to us a new life, but the old life is so deeply ingrained in us. The old life would say if somebody does us wrong, we get even. The new life would say if someone does us wrong, we forgive. The old life would tell us that if we get stuck in traffic, we get angry. The new life would teach us that God's in control of all things and we can rest in him. You see, what God is calling us to is an entirely new kind of life, a life where we rest in his sovereignty, in his goodness. Now, here's the promise that you're probably familiar with, verse 12, which was read. For the word of God is living. There's life in the word of God. The word of God is alive and it's active and it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it penetrates deep within. 
The living, powerful Word of God becomes a tool, an instrument, in the hands of the Holy Spirit to penetrate deep within us. The Word of God strips off the false and exposes the entrenched power of the flesh and rips away all of our pretense and destroys our strongholds. You see, we need the Word of God. And we hear the Word of God in places like this where sermons are spoken or in groups where we gather around the Word of God. The Word of God is that which strips away all that's false and takes away all the facades and gets to the heart of the matter and judges the attitudes and the actions of the heart. Verse 13. For nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. And everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Remember when Adam sinned, he hid himself. He hid because he realized that he was naked. He was ashamed and clothed himself with fig leaves. When all this pretense is stripped off, we see ourselves as we really are. And by faith, we appropriate what Christ is. When we believe that he not only died for us, but he rose again to live in us, and we understand that we are, we are unashamed in God's presence. We are exactly what we are, who we are. We are sinners saved by grace. We have nothing to defend, nothing to hide, nothing that can't be exposed. And what happens then is, when we understand that God sees all and knows all, then this incredible word, verses 14 and following. Therefore, since we have a high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. The amazing scripture we're looking at teaches us about Jesus and who Jesus Christ is, that he is the great high priest. Never before was a high priest spoken of as being great, but our high priest is great. Who has gone through the heavens, passed through the heavens, the high priest would pass out of sight as he went into the Holy of Holies. But Jesus went out of sight as he ascended from the Mount of Olives, going back to heaven. We have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. It says, let us then hold firmly to this faith that we profess. They were in danger of letting go of their faith. They were in danger of going back to their old ways. They were in danger of their apostasy. But we do not have a high priest unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Said positively, our high priest sympathizes with our weaknesses. He has become human and understands humanity. He gets us. What matters to us matters to him because we matter to him. He is attuned to us. He knows when we are tired. He knows when we are hungry. 
He knows when we are lonely. He knows when we are angry. He has been tempted just like we. He knows the temptations of our flesh. So let us approach this throne of grace with great confidence. Let's draw near to God, to him who has authority and power and grace. To say that God has grace is to say that God is sympathetic to us. He understands us. Our priest is touched with all of our weaknesses and infirmities. Our priest is completely accessible. Our priest understands everything that we're going through. He has felt every pressure that you feel. He has felt every pull that pulls upon you. He has drawn, he has been drawn by every allurement that you face. He has been frightened by every fear. He has been beset by every anxiety. He has been depressed, even as we experience depression. So let us approach the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy. You see, the mercy of God is God not giving us what we deserve. And we may find grace, which is God giving us what we don't deserve. God is both powerful and merciful. God is both righteous and kind-hearted. He's inviting us into his throne room to experience his grace and his mercy. This is our high priest. His name is Jesus. Let us then, with confidence, come before him into the throne of grace and admit that we have needs. We come to church, we live our lives with needs, and our greatest need is Jesus. Let's admit that we need Jesus, and we need his mercy, and we need his grace. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, what an amazing passage of Scripture this is. This longing inside of the human heart for rest, a rest that perhaps we've never known. Maybe we've always known an incessant busyness, feeling guilty when we relax, feeling pressure to do, trying to prove ourselves to somebody, trying to prove ourselves to ourselves, seeking after somebody's approval, looking over our shoulder, fearing judgment, thinking that if we ever were to come in your presence, Lord, only judgment and condemnation would fall upon us because of what we have done. But God, you have borne our judgment. You have borne our condemnation. You have taken our sin away. You are our sin bearer. But more than that, you are the God who is our high priest. And you invite us into a throne room to be gut level honest with you and admit what is going on in our lives and ask you, God, for help in our times of need. We are surrounded today with people who have all kinds of needs. And God, you want us to ask you to help us, help us with these needs. Would you allow us to have an honest moment now, a transparent moment where we can just be honest in your presence?
and admit, God, we need you. Come, Jesus, come and help us. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus.